Hi everyone, I'm Mike Novogratz and this is Next with Novo. We're here next with Novo with Robert Rooks. Hey, hey. He is the CEO of the Reform Alliance, our executive director. Executive director, CEO, kind of the same thing. Uh, Reform Alliance is one of the, I think, most promising groups in the criminal justice reform space, primarily focused on probation and parole, but bigger aspirations. Give us a little bit about you. You're born yeah. and raised. Born in New York, Long Island, New York. Um, father was a minister. Mother nurse. Uh, we moved to Dallas, Texas uh, when I was uh, five, and I spent most of my time growing up in Dallas. I found myself in this in this work based on my experiences um, in Dallas in uh, the mid '80s. You know, 1983, uh, we were in a working class community, right? Folks in the southern part of Dallas were mainly in the service sector, right? Just hardworking folks. We had a uh, TV repair guy. Can you believe that we had those back then? Of course you know. Um, but we had a TV repair guy across the street, a mechanic um, on the other side, a social worker. Like I said, my parents were a nurse and a minister. And, and that was our community in 1980, 1983, but everything changed um, right around 1984, 85. And that was the influx uh, of, of crack cocaine. It became an epidemic in our neighborhood. Uh, we saw people losing their homes. Uh, we saw uh, people losing their jobs. Uh, and we didn't see any help. There was, there was no counselors, social workers, or investments in our neighborhood to, to help us deal with what we were seeing. It was the first time. How old were you of us. I was 10. How did you stay away 10. from crack? I was an I was athlete. Um, played football, actually, when I started. Um, Oak Cliff Redskins. Uh, when I was 10 years old in, in, in Dallas um, and stayed all the way. I was a scholarship athlete. Uh, but, but also what helped me, um, I had older brothers, um, and they didn't stay away from it. Um, they, they were impacted by it um, in different ways. Um, but they always made sure that I was on the straight and narrow, uh, and I'm always going to be You hear that a lot. Like, yeah. It's okay. I'm going to like screw myself up, but damn it, I'm going to make sure my brother doesn't. I mean, there's, there's something noble to that, but it's like, listen, you know, I, I have lots of sympathy for people that get hooked on drugs. Uh, it's, it's, you know, you're young. You, I mean, listen, I've done plenty of drugs, and and uh, and so I, there's no judgment. But it's, I find this an interesting story, and I hear it a lot. I mean, because I was the youngest, you know, I was. Um Kind of the hope in some ways. My family, the youngest of nine, right? Youngest of nine. Youngest of nine. Yeah. What's the age gap? Oh my gosh. Uh, um, Same parents. I administer dad. Different, di different parents. Different parents. Um, so my next oldest brother was eight, but between them, there was like twelve years. So there was there were stack, 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 stack. Uh, so I both grew up in a house uh, where you know early years it was packed, later years it was just by myself. Wow, it's fascinating. Um, but in many ways, I was brought up as their hope. You know, they, you know, we went through the 80s together. It was a challenging time. Uh, yeah, my brothers made decisions based on the circumstances at that time. Uh, and, um, but I was always seen as someone that could do more. Um, and I just have always appreciated that about them because they, they told me first that I was somebody, right? They, they were like, before I even knew how important that was, they told me that I was somebody. Um, and I believed them. I believe I could do things, and I went off was able to accomplish a few stuff. So you went to college where? In Texas? Yeah, I, I, I first went to Southeast Oklahoma uh, as a um, scholarship athlete. 
uh, quickly realized that 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 wasn't for me. I was I started to to kind of shift kind of my my priorities a little bit. I was into social justice. Um, I went and then. So you know, early on, you wanted to be in social justice. Yeah, no, I, I did because um, in the '90s, I talked about the '80s. In the '90s, what started to happen? I started to lose friends, uh, friends to violence. You know, my best friend um, in, in the entire world, the guy that encouraged me to go talk to girls. Uh, you know, taught me how to crease my pants. You know, um, I got that phone call and and he was taken away from us. Um, and I, it was at his funeral um, that I committed myself that I was going to do something, you know, about society, about our community, make sure my And you kids, were, what, 18, 17? I was 19. 19. I was 19 when that happened. And it, it, it changed everything. Um, That's and, amazing. And yeah, so, so it was that commitment that um, pushed me to want to get involved in, in social justice. I uh, went to Prairie View A&M University in Houston, Texas, HBCU. Um, loved it. Best experience of my life. Um, then went on to graduate school in Connecticut. And your first job in social justice was where? Uh, it was at a place called Upper Albany Neighborhood Collaborative in Hartford, Connecticut. I was a community organizer. You know, I was I was given a list of names on a sheet of paper and addresses, and I was told to go talk to these people. So I was knocking on doors. Explain, like, this sounds <laughs> dumb because you've grown up as in that world. Yeah. But I'm guessing most of the people on my podcast don't even know what a community or- organizer does. Yeah. Don't hear about community organizers. No, you don't. Like, what does a community organizer do? You don't hear about, but the, the most famous community organizer, you know, was Barack Obama, and and I was so happy when he was talking about. Uh, his early years as a as an organizer and how it shaped him. So I think you're right. That's the first time people ever even heard that as as a field. Um, so basically, I was given the charge to uh, identify issues in the community for people uh, to work on, to address, to solve. Um, but it's not so easy, right? You have to talk to people, find out what those issues are, and then you have to convince them it's in their best interest to get with other people because you don't make things happen, you don't make things happen as an individual, right? You make things happen when you're part of a collective. So then there's, there's trust you have to build, both trust between you and them, and then trust with each other. And then you have to be on the same plan on how you're gonna make change happen, and then you execute. And so early, early, early on, I was 22, 23, knocking on doors, talking to people. My first campaign, first major campaign, uh, had to do with uh, sewage in people's basement in Upper Albany. So every time it ran, it rained, uh, sewage would run through people's oh, basement, yeah. and it was horrible. So we we organized a massive meeting and bus tour, and was able to get on the ballot uh, resources to to change the, the sewage system up Albany, uh, you know, in Hartford. It, it, so not not to get off track, but I yeah, yeah. I saw a special on TV. My son's doing a dot. It's shocking how prevalent the problem of shit in people's yards oh, yeah. or houses or, you know, if it's pig shit in, in the in the waste farms down in North Carolina or if it's, you know, just poor sewage systems in places that are low, you know, low for, for sea level. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's... It, you sometimes wonder, like, what, what the hell's going on in America? Well, I mean, that's the thing. It's, it's that if, the, if these local, you know, governments don't respond, right, if, if people will talk about what's happening all day, but if they don't put resources on the table, things continue to decay. Yeah. Um, and people, people die, like we saw in Flint, and during the water system. I mean, that happened, that's happening all throughout. Uh, the Midwest um, and, and the Northeast and these older communities. So yeah, it's it's, de- it's definitely a, it's definitely a problem. But it's important for people to organize, 
come together, make a demand, and hold people accountable to get those things changed. And so I, it's from a young age you started, and then a job after job, uh, the prison reform, criminal justice reform, when did this start? Yes, it started around the same time. Uh, I was 22, 23. The next thing after the, the sewage problem uh, was public safety, right? It was open-air drug, drug dealing. And people in the community was upset and frustrated. We had moms that said they couldn't let their kids go outside and play because of what was happening. And so we, again, came together um, and started to hold people accountable. Um, people got arrested. You know, I was part of a campaign that resulted in people getting arrested because that's what the community wanted. But that's when I learned that the criminal justice system actually did more harm than good. Uh, we cleaned up, quote unquote, cleaned up that neighborhood. Um, but then seven days later, I remember, uh, I remember knocking on doors, talking to people, hey, how things are going? They were saying, did you hear about the shooting that happened last night? What shooting? You know, at the fish market? Yeah, at the fish market, there was a shooting. So what, was, what happened is that by the people that were doing the open-air drug market, by them being arrested, it created competition in that community, right? And so people started competing for that market. And so we thought we were making things better. Mike, we actually was making things worse. And that's when I knew the war on drugs was a failure and I wanted to be on the side of things and, and, and change. So it was 23 years old. Uh, I became um, the executive director of... Uh, the A Better Way Foundation, which is a criminal justice reform organization aligned with Drug Policy Alliance. And we were working to advance harm reduction strategies because I didn't want to be part um, of the problem. I want to be part of the solution. So you fast forward, you know, it's February 2022. <laughs> we're in a world now where, in my mind, criminal justice has been set back pretty substantially, criminal justice reform has been stepped back substantially because there's a perception and a reality that our cities feel less safe. And a lot of people are blaming that on criminal justice reform. I think that's unfair. Um, but it's funny because it resonates. Your first instinct was we got to make people feel safe before we can make reform and then we need to make smart reforms. And so talk a little bit about how you're helping kind of steer the ship at both the Reform Alliance, but also, you know, you've got a big presence in the whole space. Um, we've got this, this space where we had so much momentum mm -hmm. and it accelerated with, you know, the, the tragedy of George Floyd. And I think that the bulk of Americans saw George Floyd and said, this guy just got murdered in front of us. This can't be. And the willingness to believe that we had a race problem in America, that we had a criminal justice problem in America was wide open. And we never had better momentum. We were making progress on all kinds of fronts. And that all kind of got stuffed with a little bit of defund the police and people like, actually, I don't want to feel unsafe. I want police. Um, and the rise in violent crime in major cities, both cities that had reform and cities that didn't have reform right uh both red and blue cities right uh and but it puts the space in a pretty weird weird position now and so how are how are you trying to think about that so this conversation um like isn't isn't new to many of us that's been doing the work for a while i think it's 
it's new for um, folks that have come in, like you said, since Floyd. Uh, we've been wanting to center public safety and solutions to public safety for a long time. Like I told you, my, my story back when I was 22, right. that was you know, 23 years ago, um, that's, what, that's what I was trying to find was that middle ground. And we saw the middle ground in terms of growing kind of alternatives to incarceration. The language has changed throughout the years, right? Alternatives to incarceration or substance abuse treatment um, instead of incarceration or, or alternative to probation. Like we've seen different iterations of it, but it was all our attempt to grow alternatives to locking people up and meeting the root causes of crime, right? It's just that it was a small number of us that was talking about it and doing it. Um, and we've, we've been successful at, 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 at Justice Reform. Prop 47 actually moved significant dollars from the criminal justice system into communities all across California and invested in new programs that actually help people. So, so we, we've seen kind of those types of shifts, but not at the scale that we needed to see across the country. So then COVID hits, right? And what I mean by that is we're isolated for 18 months to two years. Terrible. Right? It has significant impact um, on us as a community, um, on individuals, um, and mental we health. also, mental health, and we also saw tremendous spikes in purchasing of guns during that time, same time period, right? So there was this unsettling that, w that was happening. Um, and then lastly, uh, people were poor. People are poor, right? People need things. And the combination of all of that, and I'm sure some other things as well, right, created a perfect storm of sorts, right, that resulted in an increase in, in violent crime in many places. And we in the criminal justice reform field was not ready for that. Um, we was not ready with scaled up solutions to those issues. Many of us have been talking about it. We've done it at a, smaller, at a smaller scale. We needed better solutions, more available solutions to us, and we didn't have it. Right, so how do we, because it's wildly important to me, how do we address public safety without turning back the clock six years, 10 years on criminal justice reform? We can't. We're, well, first of all, I think, I think it's important for people to know that we're not going to turn back the clock. Like we as a movement, as a field, are at the table in ways that we're not at the table in the 80s and 90s when this system got built. Like we're not going to allow that to happen. Sure, there'll be shifts. Right, but it will be a full public discourse and debate every single time. And the nature of that will allow us to be able to move kind of in the center as opposed to it being a radical shift left and right. So that, that's just my belief we'll see in, in years. I actually think you're right. I think you're right. I think there is a, listen, even from when I got into criminal justice five years ago, uh, or four and a half years ago, to now, the amount of people involved, money involved, uh, intellectual capital engaged, is limit up. Yeah. And so I don't think that group is going to fall for the false flag of throw everyone in jail and lock them up right. forever. It doesn't make communities safer. We just have to grow the solutions. We've got to grow the alternative. We wanted reform. Um, we were able to get reform in many places. Now we're, we're part, we're stakeholders in the system now, whether we like it or not. Many of us start off as advocates, you know, marching, but once you get reform and make reform happen, you're now a stakeholder. So you need to ensure that that reform is implemented in the way it was intended, right? So that means you're sitting at the table 
with law enforcement, with people in government, with electeds to ensure that that happens. That's where we are now, right? And we need to grow that body of work in our field and grow those solutions. Let's talk a little bit about Reform Alliance. Yeah. You're the main man there for what, less than a year now? Yeah, it will be a year at the end of this month. Got it. So one year in, Reform Alliance, for you guys who don't know, is a partnership that was started by Meek Mill and Michael Rubin with, you know, a kind of a celebrity cast of people that cared about the issue from Clara Sy and Jay-Z. Clara would love to be seen before Jay-Z. <laughs> Bob Kraft, uh, uh, who else? Myself. Um, Priscilla Chan. Priscilla Chan. Yeah. Uh, and Laura Arnold. Laura Arnold. Uh, the women on our, our, our team seem to know a lot more than the men, I'd hate to say. Uh, <laughs> but wickedly smart group uh, with lots of resource and a lot of commitment to really attack probation and parole. Uh, there are four and a half million people stuck in the probation and parole system. My intuition, having looked at it now for a few years, is that it's a stupid system. It doesn't really help anybody. And... It's not even that political an idea. Like the people, it's it's not like bail, which is very charged. Uh, it's kind of a lost. People don't even think much about it. Yet we have four and a half million people whose lives are wildly impacted. Yeah. And so, talk a little bit about coming into that group and what the plans are and how we're going to make make impact. Yeah. First of all, <clears throat> I'm living the dream. I love I love it at Reform. Um, it's, it was a fascinating uh, operation when it first. Uh, got established uh, with all the names, like you just mentioned, connected to it. Van Jones did a great job of getting reform off the ground. Um, he brought together a stellar team. Uh, and uh, when I, what, what compelled me to uh, want to, to get involved in reform was, was meeting each one of the board members in the interview process. And during that process, uh, what I heard was something I really hadn't heard before um, in, in, in our space. And that was a group of people with influence saying what happened to that young man shouldn't happen to him or anyone else, right? And that was powerful to me as, as a father of three black boys um, that that amount of resources was put together on behalf of Meek uh, to say that, no, we, we, this is unacceptable America. Um, and that pulled me in. Like that pulled me in. The, the conversations with each one of you felt real. Um, they felt sincere. Um, you guys wanted to make something happen. It wasn't just a figurehead board. It was a board that you, a board that really wanted action. And so I was all for it. Um, and so I'm so glad that, 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 I, that I joined. Um, coming into reform, um, reform had had significant successes early on, passing laws in states um, across the country. And, and so that work will continue. Right? We are, we're going to engage at the state and then soon the federal level. We're going to work to change laws. We're going to ensure that those laws are implemented correctly. And when I say laws, I'm specifically talking about laws to transform probation and parole, like how they currently operate. Right, so let's take people through some of those. Like, you know, Meek was on parole for nine years and yeah. might have been on forever. You yeah. Know, like, yeah. so part of its duration how long you can be on parole? Yeah, some there's there's some states like in Pennsylvania um, where you can theoretically get lifetime probation, um, and and that's 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 a problem. It's basically turned into a giant bureaucracy. It's not trying to solve a problem. 
it's not trying to get people to be more stable. It's not trying to help people. It's just yeah. We met we met growing. one young woman from Philadelphia, whose parole officer had her arrested for missing a parole meeting while she was being given an award for good behavior by the mayor. And you're like, How? that that could not have happened, but it did happen. And so the the system is so bureaucratic, it literally feels like it's a group of people putting marbles in front of guys that are barely surviving anyway and hoping they trip and then throwing them back in jail. But, but here, here's what we've also learned, just like we have states like Pennsylvania, we also have states like Massachusetts and, and, and California, which is really on the other end of the continuum. Uh, state of Massachusetts 10 years ago had the highest racial disparities in revocation. Um, my team and I and Mr. Kraft pulled together a meeting of all the major law enforcement leaders in Massachusetts to learn what they've done over the last 10 years because they have put themselves in a position where only 24 people are in prison this entire state of Massachusetts on revocation. It's kind of an extraordinary number if you think about it. That's shocking. It's, Tell it's people shocking. what revocation is. So, so that's basically if you're on probation, that means you've agreed to a certain uh, stipulations um, for your probation. You have to show up to a meeting. You have to maybe live in a certain jurisdiction. You can't go out that jurisdiction. Maybe have to pay fines. You know, there's certain stipulations you have to buy. You get so, a parole officer who sets rules for you. Exactly. Thank and you. if you break if you break the rules, you, you go back to jail. You go back. Some of the rules the are silly. If you get a speeding ticket or a parking ticket, you can go back to jail. Uh, I talked to one guy who said he, the the PO said he can't live with his mom because she has a dog. I said, was it Pitbull? He said, no, it was a puppy. Yeah. Uh, but the PO just didn't want him to. And so some seem absurd. Some probably have some logic to them. The, yeah, I mean, mo mo most don't have logic to them. That's the, that's the problem. Like, it should be tied to what, whatever the offense was, right? If, but they're not. They, they have these blanket stipulations, these rules. And then you have to live your life the best way you can. Basically, you need a community, you need a family that's going to subsidize you when you're on probation and parole. It's not just you being on probation. Everyone around you is on probation and parole. And that's, that's the problem with it. It shouldn't, be, it shouldn't be that way. Probation should help facilitate. So how does Massachusetts uh, only have six people? Yeah, tw 24. So um, th a couple of things that they did. They, they moved the, the, the revocation um, decision up. A couple of levels um so the probation officer isn't the one making the decision which is great and a lot of we see a lot of states doing that they also have universal health care and and so that means that they can move people that need help right into some form of uh substance abuse or mental health facility uh and get that build and 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 that's not available in many other places what i'm what i've been hearing is that many probation officers aren't trying to revoke to send someone to jail just because they like believe that's where they should be they may have someone to come up with dirty urine who has a history of addiction in a town where people are overdosing and they feel that that's the place for them so they revoke whether or not that's the right move you decide but you can you can see the logic yep so how can you build the the infrastructure where that person can go to a, a facility as opposed to a prison so that's what massachusetts has done and it's been extraordinary to see what 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 what, what they're doing there california county by county is totally different uh in el dorado county for example they they realized that um, a large number of their probationers were uh, homeless so they took their resources, they bought a house, and they allowed their probationers to live and run that house. It's really extraordinary stuff. Um, in, 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 in Alameda County, 
um, they, they saw that a lot of revocations were connected to substance abuse. And so they paid for substance abuse treatment for people a year after they left probation, a year after. That means they really didn't have to, right? But they took some AB109 dollars and they invested in people. And so we're seeing innovation on some end, um, but then there are states like Pennsylvania and it's just- Georgia. Georgia's getting better. We, we were able to, to pass a law in, in, in Georgia that um, allows for people to get off probation um, earlier. Um, but yeah, that, that we still have some deeply problematic states. Um, Minnesota, uh, Indiana, it's, 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 it's a problem. But, but I said that all to say, the reason I want to bring up Massachusetts to California is I, I think there, there are roadmaps to this, right. right? Like if we continue to increase um, you know, our, our, our resources from an advocacy standpoint, uh, move money out to the field where there are groups on the ground that are making the same demands as we are as a national advocacy organization, um, help local counties identify resources um, in their budgets to, to, to fund some of these alternatives, I think we can continue to see a dramatic shift. There are 276,000 less people on probation than they were in 2020. A lot of it had to do with COVID. Yeah. But, 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 but that's, that's, that's significant. That's substantial. Yeah. Like, when you talk to someone on probation, their life sucks. Yeah. And they feel liberated the moment they're off. 100%. Um, and as you said, it's their whole family. So just, I want to put some numbers to the, to the audience together, just so you get a sense of the scope of our criminal justice system, right? Oh, yeah. Every year, we have between 10 and 11 million people that enter jail. 10 and 11 million people. At any one night, there's about 500,000 people waiting for bail in jail. Jail is one year and under, and there's about 1.8 million people in prison. So you got 2.3, 2.4 million people incarcerated every single day. But that's a revolving door that people average 49 days for 50 days in, in jail. And so you've got this machine. Uh, and so Robert has been doing his whole life. I've five years trying to figure out how to try to help the system a lot. What I've come to the conclusion with is the criminal justice reform movement needs to be clearer about the solutions. Yes. Right. We've all, I think, proven to the American people that it's a broken system, it's a stupid system, it's an inhumane system, it's a racially uh, prejudiced system. Uh, and I think if you had a vote, people would say, yes, criminal justice system sucks. It's a, it's a D minus or an F. But the alternatives, and I think you've hit on a few within the space, uh, but I just want people to understand the magnitude of the numbers of human bodies yeah. that are moving through and the money that's made. And, the, you know, you've got prison guards and prison guard unions, police unions. And so it's a huge part of the economy, which also makes it harder to change. Uh, that wasn't even a question. That was just me waxing. No, I loved it. I because loved it. It's, it's right it's, on. It's, it's a big, big problem. It, it drives me insane. Uh, You've given us a little bit of optimism. Given me a little bit more optimism uh, on the movement itself, right? Yeah. We're in this stalled space, as you said. We now have a position at the table, at least. Biden has been mediocre at best, I'd say, uh, on criminal justice reform. It's not his thing. Uh, Kamala has been quiet. I would have hoped it would have been her thing. Uh, she had some, she had some, something to make up for because she had been a pretty tough prosecutor, and so you thought. She might pivot, but hasn't. And so, who are our allies? Well, I want to start with folks on the ground in, in the communities, right? Um, there's a guy by the name of Akilah Shirelles, 
Uh, he ran Newark Community Street Team, came in with Mayor Baraka, became mayor. Um, basically, you know, it's been running, you know, interventionist programs uh, in Newark for the last, what, five, six years. Uh, crime rates have continued to drop. He's done it in partnership uh, with, with law enforcement, meaning pieces of law enforcement budget was shifted over to his team. Um, and he was able to hire up, and he's been doing amazing work. Um, there are folks like Aquila all across the country. A, we, we don't know who they all are. That was going to get B, funded in Build Back Better, which is now dead. Yeah. Uh, which would have been wonderful. Yeah. It's, well, yes, of course. But I, the, the, point, the point that I'm making is that there are people in communities doing this work. We need to ensure that they get scaled up. The Build Back Better was a huge, huge part of that. But I don't want to let the local cities and counties off the hook. They can do exactly what Mayor Baraka did. Like he moved yep. money to Aquila, and Aquila was able to grow his 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 his, his team. Um, and during COVID, you know that he was they bought groceries and they would go house to house to check on people, you know, make sure folks were okay, you know. And and so I I don't want to like kind of overlook the importance of grassroots organizers that are working communities each and every day to solve problems. It's just that the conversation around crime has got has gotten so politicized so quickly. Uh, we're, we're, those folks aren't even being considered or, or discussed. And so I think part of what our job is it's to is, highlight. is to highlight that, elevate that at the, at the highest level. Hey, there are good people in these communities that's doing great work, um, that's addressing this issue. Um, and let's be clear, crime, crime, violent crime is up. It's still at a historic low, right? Yep. It's still, yep. it's like it's still, it's still historically, and so that means that there are certain things happening in communities, and we need to understand all of it. Yeah, we we need to do a better job of storytelling. I mean, even bail, like bail reform here in New York, is under a huge attack. When you look at the numbers, ninety-eight percent of the people that got bailed out haven't done anything. Right. So you have this very small amount of people, and so ninety-eight percent of the people you're actually putting back into their houses, uh, making the community safer. Actually. Yeah. Uh, and so, again, did the law get written in a way that doesn't pass the, the, the common sense test? Yeah, right? A guy that's on his seventh you know, crime in two months, uh, you probably should say, keep that guy in. <laughs> you know? Or someone who's done something really horrific. You know? uh, but there's also a lot of bad press, right? This young kid recently uh, who shot at cops... Uh, who, who got bailed out, who was upset about it. He had, it was $50,000 bail and he paid his bail in the same way Robert Durst yes. paid his bail when he murdered someone and no one like screamed and yelled. Uh, and so figuring out, you know, who really is a danger to society and where that line is, it should be a pretty high bar, but there should be a bar somewhere. But see, this is, this is the problem is that current criminal justice spends so much money um, trying to manage people that just shouldn't be in the system at all. Right. Right. And if we actually took those resources, either reinvested them or moved them in areas that help us solve, because in these same communities, the murder closure rate is ridiculous, meaning we're not closing. Yeah, we're not closing these crime rates. These right? crime One rates. out of 10 or something. Right. Exactly. You know, the rape closure rate, that's the other thing we can do. We can actually take sexual assault seriously. Right. We don't. Um, as a as a, a, a in terms of the justice system, so 
there are things that need to happen. We need to readjust these budgets. Um, we need to invest in, in programs like the Newark Community Street Team, um, and th then we'll see b better results. Until then, we need a communications apparatus. You know, you know Eric Adams, to his credit, he tells that story all the time. He said, we got to keep, we, we got to not try to pluck kids out of the river. We got to stop putting them in the river. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, upstream. And I think that's investing exactly like you said. Yeah. Prevention, all of it, you know. All right. Well, listen, I hope, you know, sunnier days are ahead. I actually have a feeling that we're, uh, you know, we're in for a grind here, a little bit yeah. of criminal justice. Uh, Luckily, I'm a wrestler and a grinder. Uh, and most of the people I've met in here, the guys that work at Galaxy, the guys that work at Reform, are pretty tough and are grinders. Yeah. The political narrative in our country is divided. Yeah. Uh, it's funny, when I sit down with people, it's not nearly as bad as right. what I read, right? Right. right. Everyone wants people to be treated justly. Uh, and people want to feel safe, and so. If it bleeds, it leads. Yeah. It's still true, unfortunately. Yep. All right, Robert. Listen, I really appreciate you coming in. Yeah. Uh, it's been fun talking with you. Same here. We will uh, try to keep uh, all you guys, uh, you know, focused on helping us fix the criminal justice system. 